show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. White, couple of jab steps, comes up shooting, tough three, bam! Put him in the hole of fame! Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. One more, one more y'all want me to prove, man. Levine with the runway! Host Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 score scope. Yep. Where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Joining me now, Matt Peck. Locked on Bulls podcast. Producing podcasts left and right, even in the offseason. On Twitter, at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. I don't have Twitter. I don't do anything like that. And I love what you guys do with the show. I listen to every episode. You guys are one of the best podcasts, period. Y'all keep doing what you do best. I love you guys. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. It's 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 raw. You can just see the vibe. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. Okay, cool. I was hoping it wasn't one of those knucklehead programs. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us there, 331-979-1369. One day away from preseason game number one, Matt. Very excited to watch the Bulls finally back in action tomorrow. Plenty has happened over the last several days that we're going to get into. We're also going to get into your voicemails and a little bit of more of your text messages in mailbag. But first and foremost, man, uh, glad to be back on the mics. How you doing, man? What up, Jordan? What up, Bulls Nation? Uh, super excited to get our first Bulls game action in nine months. We have, we have waited long enough as a fan base that I cannot wait. Uh, although it looks like we probably won't get our first glimpse of 2021 James Harden in this preseason game, right? I think he's still not done. I, I, I heard he needs to register six consecutive negative COVID tests. Did they add on to the normal number because he was out partying in Vegas? What's the deal with that? I That's a good question. I was wondering, I was like, is that like a new rule? Is that going to be for anybody that hasn't joined their, their camp yet? Or is there special circumstances for where you've been? Yeah, that situation is is weird, and I was thinking it was going to get to the point where we might see our first NBA player do their whole holdout until the team deals them, similar to what we've seen in the NFL. It hasn't gotten to that point yet, but I mean, this is the closest we've seen in the NBA, which is I'm not surprised because I think there's going to be some point in the next couple of years, man, where there's going to be a player that's super unhappy with this situation to the point where he doesn't care about the money anymore and he's ready to hold out until somebody deals him. So I thought this was we were getting pretty close with the Harden stuff, but looks like he's going to join them for now. Yeah, although he didn't seem too pleased. Like I saw some video on Twitter of him at his first media availability um, which I'm guessing he was doing from, you know, away from the rest of the team. But it was basically just him saying no comment about a bunch of stuff. But we also heard from, you know, from uh, Sharanya and I think also Woj that he has like an expanded list of teams that he would be okay being traded to, all of which are playoff bound Eastern Conference teams. So really no surprise there. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a carousel, man. I, I don't know what's going to happen with Harden and the Rockets. The, the thing I would be most surprised by is Harden coming to the Bulls via trade. <laughs> I would be too, but maybe we start to look at some of these extensions that are getting handed out and 
Giannis still has his decision to make, and so does Kawhi for next season. And that How about ki- that Paul George extension from today? My goodness. Well, I guess they're just an insurance policy in case Kawhi decides to walk, right? That's the only reason, right? Yeah. I, and like when we heard that Paul George said, like, yeah, I want to retire a Clipper, I was kind of surprised. I was, you know, Paul George is a guy that bounces around. Oh, man. I just now... The bad thing for me about Paul George, and if the Bulls were interested in trading for him, I would take him in a second. But all I can think about is him hitting the side of the backboard in the bubble this year. That's all I think about when I think about PG as, now. As they were choking away Game 7? Yeah, that was bad. Um, Getting into some Bulls stuff right now, anything from Carter and Billy Donovan yesterday that you thought was interesting? I think we talked about it a little bit off mic, but maybe going into the rotations, Billy Donovan had said that he's thinking about keep, uh, starting with a nine-man rotation to kick off the season. Still pondering the idea of a 10-man, but I think he's more focused in on a nine-man rotation. It, with that being said, I'm trying, I'm trying to work through a possible nine-man rotation that makes sense to start the season for the Bulls. What do you think about that? What are the possibilities for the starting five that you had? I mean, what makes the most sense to me, uh, and of course now we have heard, insert joke here, that Denzel will be unavailable for their, at least their first two preseason games with a with a tight hamstring. So we'll, we'll monitor that and see how that goes. Um, but you know, he just plays. Denzel just kind of plays, man. He just has a feel for it. Thank you, Jim. Assuming a starting five of Kobe, Zach, Otto, Lowry, Wendell, then a nine-man rotation to me would likely be, assuming an unavailable Denzel, Hutchison, Pat Will, Thad Young, that gets you to eight. And then who are you throwing in there from there? Garrett Temple, if he's available post-COVID, that gets you to nine. Um, Felicio, no. Cornette, I wouldn't anticipate that. Then the only other one you're talking about maybe getting into the rotation is Archie. And I don't know if he's getting into the rotation right away. Did you say Gafford too? Because what about Gafford? Oh my gosh, I forgot about Gafford. I'm a terrible person. I didn't mention Gafford. Gafford would be 10. Um, See, that if, makes the if, most if sense because then you're going to have... Because then you've got to have either Lowry or Carter playing the majority of the minutes on the floor with that nine-man rotation, or you're going to go super small and put one of those guys at the five in like a tiny rotation. Maybe he tries it in this these preseason games to see what it looks like. But yeah, I would imagine Gafford's probably in there. But I think I agree with all the 10 guys that you said, and definitely they're going to try to run Hutchison and see what they have him, at least early on. Like We've got to see what we've got in him. And once Denzel Valentine is cleared, I think that's also a guy that you plug in there. Yeah, I, I I can't believe I forgot Gafford. Yes, I am guessing that Gafford would be in that rotation uh, as the backup center. Uh, and, and then it's just a question of how Billy decides to disperse minutes between Pat Will and Thad Young. We did hear him. He, he is, you know, nothing uh, set in stone, but he said he would not anticipate the primary players, the starting five, to play deep into the second half. So maybe we'll see a normalized first half rotation between starters and and bench unit and then see more of the rest of that bench in the second half. So like, you know, he he might throw everybody out there by the end of the fourth quarter uh, and we'll probably see less of Zach, Kobe, Wendell, and Lowry in the second half. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. A lot of Pat Will in the second half. That's for sure. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what he does with the wing position because now it seems like 
the Bulls are in a position where they've got a, kind of a plethora of three and fours to an extent, and Billy Donovan can kind of mix and match and see who plays well, who's got good chemistry playing together heading into the, the season. I think this is a good opportunity for him to see that, and we're going to play two... Well, OKC is kind of a garbage young team, and hopefully the Bulls can beat up on them in their second preseason game, but I think we have the Rockets again after this. So it's Rockets, OKC, and then the Rockets again. Uh, so you get at least an opportunity to put your starters up against uh, some decent quality talent in in what the Rockets have if James Harden joins them, maybe in that third game, um, to see what the Bulls have going into the start of the season. But yeah, I, I just kind of, I think I'm more interested in seeing what Pat Will's going to give us uh, in these first couple of games than anything else. Did you see that comment from Lowry? Uh, I think it was today's practice about how, you know, what have you noticed most about the rookie and Lowry was talking about Pat Will's floater game and said he has he doesn't think he's seen him miss a floater yet in practice. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Is it like one of those like 10 foot step back uh, with like one hand kind of the Dirk motion? He was so good at that his rookie season and then he kind of just relied on it too much. I don't again, I I blame Jim for that, but We'll see. I'm hoping him and Carter have a great season this year, and then it it puts the Bulls in kind of a good situation. Like it's a bad situation because then you got to kind of choose, or maybe you don't. Uh, but it, it's a good scenario for Bulls fans if both of those guys have great seasons this year. And I'm expecting I'm, I'm expecting a lot out of those guys. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be a big part of uh, the front office and Donovan staff's uh, evaluations. Is you know whatever happens with some of the you know other veteran journeyman pieces that are still on this roster or were added to this roster, the focus has to be on developing the existing core of young players and Pat Will in addition to that. With that being said, uh, I think we should hit our text and voicemail line. We've got a lot of voicemails lined up for you guys. You guys can drop those for us at 331-979-1369. Your tweets and your texts on that line, too. It tweets at LockedOnBulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Uh, going to the first voicemail. Yo, what's going on, fellas? This is Rich from Calumet City. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I just want you guys to vent Jordan. Matt, one time for the ESPN rankings of Zach Levine being ranked under Lonzo Ball. You guys will make my day. No, fuck it. You guys will make my week. If I could just hear you guys vent one time about this terrible, terrible list. Again, you guys do a good job. Thanks. I'd like to hear your response. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work, fellas. Matt, I know you talked about this on on yesterday's episode a little bit, but I had a lot of questions about those ESPN power rankings, the top 100. It just, some of the rankings, just not even the Bulls, man. I was like, they've got, they've got who ranked in the, in, in the 80s? I saw DeMar DeRozan and John Wall were in the 80s. Like, DeMar DeRozan? I think DeRozan in the 80s is the most disrespectful thing in that top you know the 50 to 100 more so than zach's level of disrespect that's ridiculous i couldn't believe it and i understand there's more of an argument to be made between lonzo ball and zach levine but i think after the numbers that zach levine put up last year even on a garbage bulls team 
pretty disrespectful for for a guy that is still working on his scoring ability in the NBA and has had a mostly broken jumper for the better half of his NBA career in Lonzo Ball. So I don't know. Again, it goes back to I don't think people watched the Bulls like we did, Matt, and like some of these hardcore Bulls fans did last year and over the last couple of years, watching Zach Levine develop into the guy consistently night after night, having to drag this team to wins. Yeah, I mean... That's that's the whole thing, and um, it was uh, Coach Ron, you know, who is on Bulls Twitter every once in a while. He hasn't been on as much recently, but kind of like you know the old grumpy guy of Bulls Twitter, um, like me in thirty years, basically. <laughs> but he was talking uh, underneath my, my comment about how disrespected Zach was in those rankings, saying, "Well, like, well, what about wins? You know, Zach Levine hasn't added any wins to this Bulls team." He's only a scorer. He has nothing else to his game. And, you know, Lonzo does this. And Chris, Christian Wood was another one that I had an issue with being ranked ahead of Zach. I was like, really? Uh, and, and also, of course, Michael Porter Jr., who has played, what, 12 decent games in his NBA career. So, and, and I, I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. It's like, yes, Zach Levine has not been on a winning team. Never has that been his fault. This this Bulls team is 0-65 last season without him. I just, like... Yes, he has to he has to take another step proving that he can contribute to winning. But he was in a no-win situation last year. I'm a big fan of coach Ron and I totally like I can disagree with him and I think I've said it for a long time the one thing I I completely disagree is his opinion about Zach Levine but we can have those opinions and I it's interesting to hear from a different perspective of what he sees that he doesn't like in Levine. That being said though, I just feel like these ESPN power rankings were like we we took it we went from one extreme to the other. We went from having a uh, an analytics team like in a closet with only two guys and like one computer to now we're just going to base everything off of stats, future projections. It's almost like a 2K model is like only in 2K would Christian Wood be ranked higher in a power ranking than Zach Levine would. Like that's the way I was kind of looking at it. We stepped way. We went from one extreme to the other as a Bulls fan looking at this. I need to find it somewhere in the middle, and somewhere in the middle tells me Zach Levine should be ranked higher than at least, like you said, at least Christian Wood. There's an argument for Lonzo Ball, sure. But even then, like Zach's numbers are insane the last two years, and I I know the analytics probably lean more towards Lonzo Ball because he's proven he can do other things. The only thing he can't do is score consistently. But I understand the wins thing, and I get that. That's kind of like a... I don't want to say it's an old mentality because wins are important. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. But Zach hasn't had a great hand here in Chicago. He came here with an ACL in a rebuild. In Minnesota, it wasn't great either. Uh, but this is the year to prove it. I think for Zach, he knows that too. This is the final piece to really making him set in stone is like, hey, I can be a star in this league. And that's winning right. games. But, you know, and who's the player that we always like to to use in the, in the Zach Levine comp as far as talent versus winning? Devin Booker. What do you want to bet that Devin Booker is respectably ranked wherever we see him coming up, probably, you know, probably somewhere in the top 50 because uh, he wasn't in 50 to 100. So, it's like why? Why do some players get that label of well, you know, they they're not that good because their team doesn't win? What has Phoenix won in Devin Booker's young NBA career? Jack squat, right? Exactly, and it, I I think it goes even back to you make the case about Bradley Beal. Like, what has Bradley Beal won? You know, if we're gonna if that's what we're gonna use as one of the big weights, he's another one too. So I think. 
<laughs> I would just say take the, take the take the ESPN rankings with a grain of salt. That, that's all I would say because I was just I had a good laugh when I saw Demar Derozan in the '80s. I was like, yeah, this for sure is like I'm not taking right. this well, seriously. And, and what I pointed out when I discussed this a little bit uh, on our previous pod was ESPN does this on purpose. They have controversial rankings out all the time about the NBA, every professional sport, to incite rage and incite debate because it gets them clicks and because it gets them social media engagement across all of their digital platforms, and that's what makes money right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words. I really am. Let's go to the next voicemail. Uh, this one from... The 814. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Matt. This is Zach from Pennsylvania. How are you guys doing? Um, my question for you guys is about Kobe White for this upcoming season. Um, so I'm looking at his stats right now, and he averaged 13.2, uh, 3.5 rebounds, and 2.7 assists. Now, my question is because I believe it was the last nine games where he went on that tear where he was averaging like 26 points a game. Uh, he was shooting about 48% from the field and like he had like a 90.3% um, free throw percentage. Um, what are, now, what, what are the chances you guys think that he could maybe average that same um, that same thing there going forward? Do you think there's any shot for that, or do you think that was like a more of a smoke screen? I don't know. I don't know because like I'm, I'm a big Kobe White guy, so I, I honestly believe that he can make that jump and averaging those type of sort of stats. If, now, if he can do that, I believe they have a really good shot making the playoffs if you have Zach Levine still playing well, and hopefully Wendell Carter Jr. can stay healthy and, as long, and also the the rest of the roster there. Now, like I said, do you think there's any shot for that? Because he was also averaging 4.4 assists per game. Do you think there's any way he could maybe bump that up to, say, 7 assists per game? I don't know. It's just my, my, my thoughts on this, and... Yeah, and they play the 11th here on, and for the preseason against the Rockets, which is actually my birthday. So I know it's only preseason, but I'm hoping for a win. And I hope to hear from you guys soon. Take care. Well, happy birthday to you, Zach. Happy early birthday to you, Zach. Tomorrow being your birthday. But uh, I think it's I think it's definitely possible, Matt. And I think it's the one part of Kobe White's game that has the has the best chance to taking that big leap is his playmaking ability and we're going to see that in a bump in assists and his ability to get the ball to shooters and get them in open spots and good looks I think that between that and then maybe you even see his scoring go up too if, if Lowry Markinen and Zach Levine get off to hot starts as far as shooting teams are going to adjust and try to make sure that he, those two guys are eliminated completely from the offense that might open Kobe White's ability to hey if I'm the third scorer on the floor, they're going to leave me open. I can make my shots, but I want to focus on my playmaking ability and getting our best scores every opportunity to do that. Uh, it seems like he's been motivated to in camp to do as much as possible to make his playmaking take that next leap. What do you think about what you expect from him this season? Yeah, I mean, I would say pump the brakes on expecting Kobe to average the numbers he did in the month of February when he won Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month and then into March before the league shut down when he went on that ridiculous tear. Because at that point in the season, it was like everybody was hurt. Uh, even some of those big Kobe games were, you know, games where Zach was resting a minor injury down the stretch. They put him on the shelf right before the league stopped. And it was the Kobe show. And, you know, for a fan base that had nothing, nothing left for those who were still tuning in, 
Kobe was like, hey, go go do what you want to do, Kobe. But I think with Donovan and his new approach, we won't see anything close to that. Like you said, hopefully we'll see an increase in not only maybe some statistical numbers as far as his playmaking and backing that up, you know, uh, an assist per game higher to what he was doing at the back end of the season as, as opposed to the beginning of the season. Also cutting down on those turnovers. That will be difficult because we're expecting him to be given the ball uh, a fair amount, you know, a primary playmaker, as as Billy Donovan said himself. Um, but I think more so it's going to be a offense that will try to get everybody involved. I think Zach Levine's scoring is going to come down points per game wise than it did last season. And I think that won't be a bad thing. Hopefully Lowry's points per game will go up. Hopefully Wendell's points per game will go up. So I can see Kobe averaging more points per game than he did last season, uh, just because there wasn't a whole lot at the start. But you know, I I don't see Kobe averaging 20 points per game next season. Hopefully I see something like high teens and then also maybe six or seven assists per game. And if the Bulls offense is more well-rounded, then that should be enough. So to answer the question, it's, yeah, it, it, the more the outlook is what uh, Zach had said towards the end of that voicemail there was looking towards the optimism of a potential season of him averaging six, seven assists a game. Uh, even if his, like you said, even if his shooting stays consistent where it is, like there's no way. I'm looking back at his last nine games, like the last nine games he played in. Matt, he averaged 20 shots a game. He's not going to average 20 shots in a in a game consistently throughout this season if the Bulls are healthy. Otto's going to get. He was averaging 20 shots a game because he was playing with Archie and Shaq, <laughs> right? And, exactly. Like, Felicio. And you got to remember, too, like, yeah, he dropped 33, 33, 35, 22, 26, 26, and 21 in a matter of two weeks' time. So that back end of that February really helped him, and that, that's what ended up winning him East, uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Month. The Just back to what you were saying, though, is, yeah, again, he was playing with the trash roster at the end with what was depleted. He was the guy that was like, hey, go out and see what you can do scoring-wise. You're our only option at this point, but it's okay even if we don't see that consistently early on. I won't be I won't be up in arms if Kobe is only scoring ten or twelve points a game to start the season. I want to see what he can do as the facilitator, and that's really been uh, what he's been capped as. And you 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 hear it from any different players like what's Kobe going to do with this offense this season, and him taking and stepping into that role. I'm excited to see it, man, because if he can average six or seven assists a game, that means. This Bulls team is going to have a lot of opportunities to have volume scores and good seasons. Just what we were talking about with Levine, Markin, and Ann Carter. Yeah, I mean, equal opportunity uh, is what I'm hoping for. And, uh, you know, as, as much as it was fun to occasionally see those crazy scoring nights from Kobe and Zach, I I would like a balanced offense. Wouldn't that be nice? Healthy, contributing members of a balanced offense. Otto can average 15 points a game. And if healthy, you know, l- like you said about Kobe's, you know, 20 shot attempts per game down the stretch, I we won't need to see Kobe jack up 20 shots a night. I don't think we'll need Zach to jack up 25 shots a night. Will there be some nights where that's necessary or that's how it ends up going? Yeah, probably. But ideally, you want to see a much more balanced offense because balanced offenses are efficient offenses and the Bulls ranked 29th what 30th in the NBA in offensive efficiency last year 
I remember when Jason Goff was on our podcast a few months ago and he had said that he said maybe the best thing for Zach is to take that little bit of a step back in scoring and allow the other parts of his game to blossom a little bit more allow his teammates to shine a little bit more and ultimately help you in that one goal that you're looking for and ultimately the respect in winning winning games consistently so I'm excited and I do agree with you on that too so thanks for the call that was a that was a really good question um that let's hit another one hey Matt and Jordan this is uh Jason Tucker first time a caller long time listener I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts obviously of uh you know Joe Kimnola possibly retiring Matt, as you know, I think I've tweeted you about a hundred times about all the collections I have of Noah and how much of a, a great big uh, Bulls fan I am. I uh, just want to get your guys' thoughts of his retirement and what what he meant to the Bulls, in your opinion. Uh, personally, I think he's the best center. I know we got Artis Gilmore, but I think he's the best center in Bulls history. And uh, thinking going along with that, what do you guys think about jerseys re- being retired? I don't know if he's the next guy. I know D Rose is probably up there. Norm Van Leer. But uh, well, what do you think the thoughts are of uh, Joe Kim getting his uh, jersey retired one day? Thanks, fellas, and I uh, hope to hear from you. Bye. Great to hear from you, and thanks for listening. Uh, Matt, I will let you take this one. So I have seen some pictures that Jason has posted on Twitter, as he was alluding to, of his collection of Joe Kim Noah jerseys, and it is insane. It is impressive. Even as someone who is as big of a Joe Kim, you know, stand like myself, it is overwhelming and puts my Joe Kim stuff to shame like he's got Joakim Noah jerseys from when Joakim was an all-star two different times he's got Joakim Noah jerseys that were like Bulls Christmas Day game jerseys that they only wore once he's got Joakim and like the St. Patrick's Day green like literally every single iteration of a Joakim jersey jersey he's got it which mad respect to that um as far as retiring of jerseys I think you and I talked the the podcast after we first got the news about his likely retirement about what he meant to the bulls we know that as far as what jersey is retired next um i I think there are some names that i would put ahead of joakim uh just as far as where they came along in the bulls you know chronology of bulls history a name like artis gilmore a name like norm van leer um that you know i think there there's a generation and maybe honestly even horace grant like, I know some people talk about Rodman because he helped the team win their second three titles, but Horace Grant was here for longer uh, and helped the team break through that ceiling and and reach the NBA mountaintop. I think Horace is, is criminally underrated and underappreciated in Bulls history, especially during the dynasty years. So, like, you know, everybody talks about Joakim and, of course, also D. Rose as far as, like, all right, whose number gets retired next? The Bulls don't retire a lot of numbers. There's four hanging in the rafters. Four. Scotty, MJ, Love, and Sloan. That's it. So I think there are people who came along earlier than Joe Keem and D. Rose in the history of the team that you have to talk about before you talk about retiring their jerseys. That's my take. I think Joe Kim Noah, the Hall of Fame is more likely in in his forefront, right, than maybe the Bulls retiring his jersey. Because you can take his college stats too, uh, all the, the awards that he won in college, the championship that he won at Florida, and then you can add that to the accumulation of all of the different awards and stats that he put up in the NBA for a really long time. He He's good enough to be a Hall of Famer, correct? Uh, Basketball Hall know, I- of Famer. I, I know it's basketball Hall of Fame and not NBA Hall of Fame, so certainly back-to-back, you know, uh, NCAA titles uh, puts you a lot way closer to that. I still don't know if it'll be enough. I, I, and this is coming from me, who is the diehardiest of diehard Joe Keem stands. 
I don't know if it's enough. It's definitely an interesting debate, man. I'm going to have to go back and maybe dig some stats up and we can have kind of that conversation because I'll be honest with you, I haven't compared his stats to some other bigs that have gotten in recently and how they compared to Joe Keem's college and NBA stats. But man, just like thinking on surface level, uh, he's certainly in the conversation. But yeah, it's and I'm I'm always I was curious about this. If it's more if it was Jerry Reinsdorf that wants to keep that uh the amount of jerseys retired is something that's sacred for the Bulls. And I wonder, you know, as Michael takes over the team fully in the next several years, if that changes and maybe Michael's the one to uh, this new generation of Bulls that were so beloved here, even though we didn't end up getting the final goal in the championship, those guys that were so beloved, maybe we do see some more numbers retired in the next several years. I think Derek and Joakim have the best... Uh, they have the best cases, too, outside of the guys that you named that I should think be up in the Raptors already. Uh, I think those two guys have definitely the best cases. And I would agree, although, you know, it's interesting, the number that we gave our new uh, bright, shiny toy, Patrick Williams, number four overall pick, number he's wearing, number nine, Luol Deng's number. I mean, if you can't retire a guy's number for almost killing him, I, you gotta like yeah they brought him home and gave Luol a retirement ceremony that was nice. what? I'm I'm not saying that I I legitimately think Luol's you know number should be retired but that dude gave everything including almost his life for that organization he's got some swag that's a good great call though thanks for listening though and it's good to hear from first time callers so yeah if you're somebody out there that's you know loves the mailbag questions and is thinking about giving us a call and you're nervous it's all right even if you mess up i promise you get a little bit behind the scenes here i promise you we've had callers in the past who have messed up we won't air your messed up calls so if you forget your thought or something give us a call back uh don't be afraid don't be shy to drop us a voicemail or a text 331-979-1369 I really need to know if Jason Tucker, our most recent caller there, is the secret twin brother of Ravens kicker Justin Tucker, because that would be cool. Justin Tucker is on at least one of my fantasy football teams every season. He is my rider eye fantasy kicker. I really hope they're related. Didn't he miss a kick on Tuesday? Wasn't that like the first kick he had missed in a while, in, in like a long time? I could uh, be wrong. Probably. <laughs> but uh, dude doesn't miss. Dude doesn't. Apparently miss. once. Dude doesn't miss. He's got an absolute boot. Yeah, we need that question answered. So maybe give us a call back. Uh, let's take. Yeah, let's try to squeeze one more, one or two more in here before we get out of here. Hey, what's up, pals? This is Dan from Sterling. I was just listening to you guys uh, defend Zach Levine as a non-empty calorie scorer. I, I just, you're gonna have to explain to me how he isn't. If we define empty calories as you're getting it, but it's yielding no benefit then that is what he is. He gets points but has never won. And I understand, you know, he's, he works hard. I respect him as a player. I think if in a better situation he would be winning, but he is not affecting winning. He is getting points but is not affecting winning. He, is never, he never has. That has never happened on any team he is on. If he was in a better situation, would he win? Yes. But he himself, by, him, by himself, does not affect winning, which is an empty calorie score. I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on that. Have a good one. Go Bulls. Interesting point. I think the, I think with empty calorie scoring, I think about players that are literally the only guys on their teams that can score and can't do anything else. 
I think of Wiggins as somebody like that. Zach put up 25.5 points, uh, 4.8 rebounds, and 4.2 assists, on and 1.5 steals last year. Like, if you're an empty calorie scorer, I guess maybe I was thinking it is in terms of being defined as that's the only role you have on your team, as opposed to what your scoring is doing compared to your wins. Like, are you winning games because you're, you're putting up 30 or 40? But how many times does Zach Levine... Think about the remember the triple overtime game against the Atlanta Hawks where Zach put up like 59 or something ridiculous like that and the Bulls were almost on the verge of losing again. Zach has done everything in his power to try and help the Bulls drag themselves to wins night after night and has never had any help. I just I can't maybe maybe empty calorie scoring is the right definition but i think it's got a bad connotation that comes with it and i don't think that's necessarily fair for zach levine if you look at all the context over the last three seasons yeah i'm gonna just say this right now get it out in the open clear up any misconceptions and this isn't targeted at dan from sterling and we appreciate you calling in and i you you are certainly not the first person that i've heard make this argument I think the phrase empty calorie scorer is the most pointless, misguided, useless, overused phrase when talking NBA basketball. The phrase is bullshit and it doesn't mean anything. How can you be empty calorie when you are stuffing the box sheet? Empty calories is like, oh, hey, I ate six bags of chips today and sat on my ass. Empty calorie score. I hate the phrase because it doesn't define anything. Like, okay, your argument is it, it ha- his scoring and his stuffing the stat sheet has not affected winning. How does that make him empty calorie? It just means that the team would be that much emptier without him. Now, that being said, I think you and I are both on the same page, Jordan, in that we have our doubts of Zach Levine being a good enough star caliber player to be the best team or to be, to be the best player on a, on a really good team, a championship contending team. I think you and I have said that repeatedly. We don't think he's that good. But that doesn't mean that there is no middle ground between being the best player who is your best player on every night and you and lead your team to lots of victories and a guy who is, quote-unquote, empty calorie who doesn't help his team win. I, how many times do we have to say it? The Bulls were 0-65 without Zach Levine last season. Would have been. Easily. Conversation over. I hate empty calories. It's a bullshit phrase. It, to me, what it what I interpret that as is you're a high volume shooter at a very low efficiency. Is that Zach Levine? He put up he shot forty five percent remarkably last year. remarkably efficient last season. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like I'm just looking at us. Like go back to the season before that. Go back to the dumpster fire in 2018-2019. Zach Levine shot forty six point seven percent, thirty seven point four percent from three, and then he shot thirty eight percent from three this year on eight three-point attempts. Shot 38% from eight three-point attempts per game. Uh, Effective field goal percentage, 52.6. I'd love to throw that up against who the top NBA scores in their efficiency rating was this year. I bet you Zach Levine's in the top 20. I bet you. He is. (laughs) If you're so obsessed with the phrase empty calorie score, like here's a name for you, Antonio Blakeney. (laughs) Not at all efficient, jacks up a million shots a game, does nothing for your team. 
Boom. Antonio Blakeney. There. You have a name for your completely useless, empty calorie scorer nomenclature. Moving on. Antonio Blakeney. I forgot about him. Oh, man. I bet she's putting up buckets in some trash league. Oh. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he led the, the Chinese basketball league in shot attempts and scoring last year. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that again, that anger and that frustration is not targeted towards Dan because I appreciate like the opposition. No, I, I, we want it's, it's that an argument that we hear everywhere. Absolutely, He's just bringing it up. But I, I don't like the fact that he is on that side and thinks that that's who <laughs> Zach is because he's not. Um, let's see. Let's take one more before we go. Uh, seven seven three. Hey, Kelly from Chicago. Uh, call me crazy, but looking at um looking at the Bulls roster and coach I and the teams from around the league and the schedules, I think that Bulls have a strong chance of maybe, not strong chance, but there's a slim, a slim possibility to get the eighth seed and maybe even the seventh seed, judging that the East is not such a good conference. I know they won't go anywhere in the playoffs, but that doesn't matter. The young players can get some playoff experience. It'd be great, but Billy Donovan, he think he's a great coach. Haven't, haven't uh, chimed in for a while, so I thought Billy Donovan, he's a great coach, and he um, he's great for young players. I think what he did with um, OKC was amazing, and uh, I think that the Bulls will do well with him. And, yeah, he's got he's going to have to help develop Lowry and Wendell, unlike the clown of Jim Boylan when he did that. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, bye. Thanks a lot. I think the important thing to understand here when we're talking about playoffs, Matt, now specifically because of that play-in game, that play-in series that there's going to be, if you want the Bulls to be secured with a playoff spot, you have to look at seven, right? Because it's eight, nine. Well, no, actually, it's seven, eight, nine, and ten playing for those last two positions. Correct. Correct. So, I guess there is no benefit. There's no real benefit from being seven or ten this year. So really just being in the mix between 7 and 10 is the ultimate goal if you want the Bulls to be a part of that quote-unquote play-in series. Well, and so is, are they doing it like they did with the bubble where it's like, okay, the the team that's the lower seed has to beat the higher seed twice and the higher seed only has to beat the lower seed once? So like you know, 7, 7, 10, and then 8, 9. 10 would have to beat 7 twice to get one of the, the two spots and 9 would have to beat 8 twice to get one of the two spots. So that's how it'll shake out. I do agree that it is possible for the Bulls to get one of those spots now that they're adding ninth and 10th to get into the play-in. I think it would be a disappointment if they didn't get that far this season. That being said, the only teams in the Eastern Conference that I am confident the Bulls will be better than this season, when you take into account all of the roster changes that the East made, including some of those middling and lower-tier teams, only two I'm confident the Bulls will be better than. Cleveland and New York. That's it. Washington, Charlotte, Atlanta, Detroit, Orlando. The Bulls are going to be somewhere in that mix. But I don't know if it guarantees them a spot in 9 or 10. It's going to come down to health. I know nobody wants to hear that, but seriously, that's what it's going to come down to. If the Bulls can flip the script on closing games like we've talked about this last several weeks, Matt, I think they they put themselves in the best possible position to easily secure somewhere between seven and ten. But that's a lot of that's a lot of banking on like that's full optimism right there. And we haven't seen it the first three years of this rebuild. Hoping the new coaching staff can hope they at least help flip that a little bit. If the Bulls go five hundred in clutch games this season, they're in. 
they're in. They were 11-22 and 22 last year in the last five minutes of games. Second most games played in clutch time behind OKC. If they can flip the script on that and Zach can take that next step and help them win some of these games, then you're going to definitely see them between 7 and 10. But I agree, the that, that bottom end of that Eastern Conference has gotten a lot stronger, and I'm curious to see what that Wizards team is going to look like with Beal and Westbrook now. Yeah, I think I think they'll be better. I mean, Wall was a non-factor when you think about how bad Washington was this past year. But Beal and Westbrook is a pretty exciting backcourt duo. Obviously, they'll they'll need some time to mesh and figure out, uh, you know, who's taking shots when and and what kind of offense they're going to run. Because clearly, the the Westbrook Harden thing took some time to figure out, and there were nights when it just exploded and didn't work. Um, but yeah, I like. They got better. Atlanta got better. Charlotte got better. Even though people are laughing at the overpay for Hayward, he's still a quality player, and they and he will make them better. Um, it, it's not going to be easy for the Bulls to get to that play-in. I think it's doable. I think they should achieve it, but it won't be easy. Detroit's the other one that I think, barring them keeping Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin, I think they're another team that that the Bulls, I could confidently say that they're going to be ahead of. They said that they're going to start Killian Hayes at point guard, so we'll see how that experiment goes, too, and they decided to sign every free agent big possible, so I I don't know what they're planning to do with that rotation, too, so I don't know what you think about them. They saw how well it worked out for the Knicks, and we're like, (laughs) well, we got to try that strategy. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, So thanks for the question. I think that's kind of I'm trying to take the optimistic look this year. And I think there's there's every reason to take that look. And that has me hoping the Bulls land somewhere between seven and ten this year. I think it's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls, though. Thanks for all of your text messages, your voicemails, all of your questions, all of your tweets. We'll try to get to some of these voicemails early next week. We react to the Bulls preseason game uh, this weekend and be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. And we've actually got two to talk about on Monday because the Bulls play Friday and then they play again uh, on Sunday. You're right. So don't go and watch. Uh, don't go and watch the Bears game because we, we don't need to see that. You can go watch some optimistic I mean, Bulls you preseason. Theoretically, games. could watch both. That's true. The play at seven, and the, I'm guessing the Bears are a noon game because they're yes, they are. done with prime time. Yeah. So maybe maybe to drown your sadness and you don't have to go to bed angry and sad about the Bears, uh, flip the Bulls game on and maybe that'll be a more optimistic look for your week next week. Uh, but I'm excited. At least man. we get Game's to watch bad. the quarterback we could have had because they're playing Deshaun Watson and the Texans on Sunday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the Bulls playing Dallas for the next 10 years and having to watch Luka play against us. And that's the guy we could have had. Yeah. I think that's going to about do it, though. 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us. We're on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Host Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to Locked on Bulls.com.